Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10. Frida Kelly was a shy Liverpultian teenager who was asked to work for a local band hoping to make it big. Though she had no concept of how far they would go, Frida had faith in the Beatles from the beginning, and the Beatles had faith in her. We're joined today by director and producer of this wonderful documentary, Good Old Fr- Frida, Ryan White. Ryan, welcome to Film School. Thank you, Mike. Oh, thank you. Tell me a little bit about how you came to know about Frida Kelly, and in that process, where along that uh, that continuum did you decide that I want to do a documentary about her? So my uncle is actually in the film. I interviewed him for the film, and his name is Billy Kinsley. He was in a band called the Mersey Beats that were a contemporary band of the Beatles in, 19, in the 1960s uh, that came out of Liverpool. Um, and so I've kind of grown up around that generation uh, that, that was in the music scene in Liverpool in those days. So my uncle was in the Mersey Beats, my aunt worked for the Beatles fan club, um, and a lot of their friends have connections to the Beatles as well. Uh, so one of those people was Frida Kelly. Uh, so I've known her uh, virtually my whole life from family events, from weddings or Christmases, uh, things like that. But I did not know that she was the Beatles secretary. You know, and in the film, we explore how she is one of the most private people probably to have ever walked this earth. And uh, I'm a prime example of that. I, I knew her quite well, but I did not know that she had that history um, until a few years ago um, when, uh, as we also explore in the film, she's kind of reached this age where she thought she might want to finally go down on the record after having held out for 50 years. Um, She approached me um, with one of our our producers, who's also a good family friend of hers, um, about possibly helping her tell her story. And um, that was three years ago, and we've we've been making the film ever since. What is there anything uh, specific that you would could point to in why she decided to 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 uh, step up and start talking about her history? Yeah, I mean she's clearly had many offers over the last forty fifty years to tell her story, and and in ways that could have made her quite a bit of money. You know, she could have written many tell all books, uh, but she opted not to. Um, and and she's enjoyed living a life of anonymity and privacy since she left the Beatles spotlight. Uh, that's why that's why she didn't do stuff like that. But um, you know, we explore this in the film. But but the, the, the real reason she's doing it now is, is as a legacy for her family. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she she lost her son a few years ago, and he was the one who always encouraged her to. Uh, telling her Beatles stories, and I think uh, she kind of always regretted not having done that. And now her daughter just had uh, has a two year old grandson, and I think uh, Frida looks at him and as she likes to joke, she's living on borrowed time, and you know she could go at any moment, and this this kid would have no idea uh, of this crazy job that his grandma once held. And so uh, she decided to do it as just a legacy for her family as a as a as a, as a video record of. of that crazy decade that she lived, and I'm I am of a certain age, and I was I lived through the uh, much of the uh, the period of time when the Beatles were um, the thing in, in mm-hmm. the world of music. It's it's difficult to make uh, an uh, a corollary in today's music scene in terms of how popular and how influential the Beatles were. 
Let, tell me a little bit about, uh, I've seen pictures of you. I don't suspect that you were around during Beatlemania for no. those pictures. Um, tell me what your impressions were of them, and uh, just tell me what you thought. When, when, what did you know of the Beatles? Let's just put, obviously through your family somewhat, but right. what uh, yeah, outside no, of them? I'm, I'm, I'm 32, so I wasn't yeah. around during Beatlemania, but I was, I was raised on Beatles music just because I grew up in those circles. So, yeah. You know, I, I and not just Beatles music, sort of, you know, a lot of music that came out of Liverpool in the 60s, I, I grew up listening to. So I've always enjoyed the sounds, you know, and I'm my, you know, Liverpoolians are really great storytellers. So I've <laughs> grown up hearing, you know, all these stories that, that harken back to the 60s my whole life. Now, um, I've never really had an interest in telling a Beatles story as, as a filmmaker, Um until this kind of popped into my life. And even when I found out about it, I wasn't, um, you know, completely sold because I didn't, I didn't know anything. I mean, first of all, my mind was blown when I found out Frida was the Beatles secretary. <laughs> I did not to say just, but I thought she was a secretary who worked for a law firm and she'd done that her whole life because that's what she still does. Um, so my mind was blown when I heard that. But even, even when I heard that, I thought, you know, what does that mean? Maybe she was, you know, one of many secretaries for the Beatles, or maybe she worked for them for a year or something. Yeah. You know, so I, my mind was also blown when I found out the scope to which she had served the Beatles, that she was one of their longest-serving employees in there before, you know, before they were famous and after they disbanded, and really the the, the main the main person there that, that throughout their career. And so... Um, then I began having conversations with Frida and learning more and more. And she started telling me, you know, stories and anecdotes and just sort of remembering things. And I was blown away again by with her, with her ability to, to tell a story. Um, and so once all of those chips sort of fell into place, mm -hmm. I was, I was sold on making a movie about it. And, and I'm really, I'm really glad that we did because I think it's a really fascinating untold story of, of that decade, and, and most of those stories, I think, have been well told. Yes, they have. And by the way, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with uh, the director and producer of Good Old Frida, uh, Ryan White. And yeah, having experienced it in some way back then, um, it is difficult in terms of, uh, well, we have so many options for to listen to music. There's so many different varieties and so much access to different kinds of music. It's It's hard to imagine a time when a, a single band could be such a dominant force in 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 music, and but it was. And I mean, you had competing groups like the Rolling Stones and et cetera, but they were all kind of swimming in the wake that the Beatles created when they came here to America and really kind of mm -hmm. took took over the world. So it's difficult to kind of put people in this in that place. But your your, your film does a, a very good job of doing that. Um, it's uh, it was remarkable and. In, in relation to Frida Kelly, she was there before um, their famous manager, Brian Epstein. She she predates just about everybody in terms of the Beatles story. So it is it's remarkable and to hear her perspective in this. Yeah, and and you know, and she was only seventeen when she was hired for right. the job. And so as yeah. as you said, there was no real predecessor for Beatlemania, and I don't think. Um, a band ever had blown up worldwide, like uh, you know, yeah. they'd blown up in the U.S. or within their respective countries or continents. But um, there was no model for that, and so the 17-year-old girl who was hired to be their their point person to handle fans and fan mail um, <laughs> sort of had to create that model on how you deal with that type of mania. And she was learning as she went, 
you know, and working, you know, from morning till night with four hours of sleep a night to deal with it. Um, so I think in many ways, Frida and, and that team that there, they sort of, they sort of devise that model that, that, that in many ways exists today has obviously had to be adapted, but, but, yeah. you know, had to be established. It, it's just such a, her temperament, and you get this from, from good old Rita, the documentary that, uh, she, she's even keeled, uh, the fact that she was a fan of the music as at least as much as she was drawn to the different personalities in the band, mm-hmm. t- tended to serve them very well. And the Beatles themselves, in terms of, uh, they were a, a phenomena who came along, and they couldn't have come along at a more opportune time for them, the demographics in terms of buying music and listening to music, accessibility through radio and different kinds of uh, ways of hearing it. Uh, it was being, it was, and and rock and roll music was becoming a little more acceptable. The demographic shift, everything lined up incredibly well for this band, and 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 they had the great benefit of being amazing musicians who were always looking to forward their own musical careers and and their own journey in music. So it just everything lined up beautifully for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah um, well, and now now um, in terms of. Uh, in in the film, I, again, I like for our listeners for uh, to go to a movie and experience it in in, in their own way. So I don't want to talk too much uh, about it. But um, um, in terms of how uh, uh, access, obviously, you had access to Frida. Were there other people that uh, you wanted to get into the film um, that you thought you might have some some issues with in terms of their uh, their stepping forward? I, I know you have a lot of different people in in the film. Um, getting close to them was that a, was that part of this process? Well, one of the biggest challenges with this film was of that original Beatles inner circle. Um, virtually everyone has passed away, yeah. um, except for Frida. There's one other person who joined soon thereafter that's part that's considered part of that inner circle, and his name's Tony Barrow, and he was the press officer, um, and he has gone into Beatles retirement, as he says, and hasn't done interviews about the Beatles in many, many years, but came out of retirement for our film to do one more interview for Frida um, because he was so happy she was finally doing this. Um, so there aren't a lot of people to talk to, which is why, you know, I would say the bulk of the film, probably 80% of the film is just Frida telling stories, and that's where I think um, she really shines. Now, um, one of the biggest feats of our film was that we uh, got permission to use Beatles music in it, which, um, you know, almost has never happened in film and television. And so um, that took a lot of access, and, and, and all that credit has to be given to Frida. Um, and not that she, you know, has, has stayed in the Beatles world, but her name, I think, is so um, revered in those circles that do still exist, and the way in which she served them and the loyalty with which she served them, um, for the last 50 years, uh, there's a lot of respect for her. And so I was a very lucky Beatles filmmaker in that sense, I think, that I could um, have these conversations with people and say my film was about Frida Kelly, and that got me um, into many doors that I think I normally wouldn't have gotten into. Yeah, no, it's it, and it's. Uh, let me just say for uh, for everyone to hear, it's it. It is a. It's a wonderful film. It's very informative. It's very engaging. She her she, Frida herself is a uh, very frank. She's she has she certainly seems uh, comes across to me as someone who again served the the Beatles well in that she had a very kind of um, 
defined code of behavior, and she was very disciplined about it. She really wasn't going to suffer fools uh, gracefully when when they behaved uh, in certain ways. And uh, again, they had a obviously they knew this. They had a very loyal employee, and obviously a big fan. And I think that's kind of the thing that gives her her as a person and a personality in the film that she was such a big fan of the Beatles. It just gives it that extra kick. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's I think why she was so good at her job because. Her job was dealing with Beatlemania and dealing with the fans and fan mail, and so she went to, you know, there's there's tons of stories in our films yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that that point to this, but she went to extremely great lengths to keep the fans happy. You know, she would follow the Beatles to the barber and sweep up their hair and send out <laughs> strands of hair. She would collect their T-shirts. She would actually go to their homes, their parents' homes where they still live, and collect their shirts and cut up their shirts and send out things. Or she would have the Beatles chew gum, chew pieces of gum and stick it back on letters and send it to girls. And, <laughs> and, and I don't think, you know, Justin Bieber's fans are getting strands of his hair, gum that he's chewed now. Um, and, you know, that's probably because they also didn't have, he doesn't have a fangirl running everything for him. And so um, Frida just went to extremely great lengths to keep fans happy and engaged, although she does say that she the line when people ask for fingernail cuttings. Oh, not, <laughs> yeah, that's right. She would not send those out. Now, now, just out of curiosity, this is a kind of a crass question, and I apologize before I ask it, but mm-hmm. that she was, in the film, we do see her kind of going through some of the memorabilia that she had acquired over her time there. Not a lot, certainly. Uh, she didn't, she didn't, she's not in this for the money, and it doesn't, that doesn't seem to be at all a, a part of her, her, her makeup, but did you have a sense that what she's kept is is that of 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 is there any significant value? It seemed to be a lot of stuff that a lot of collectors might have. I'm just kind of curious. Was there yeah. any was there any kind of holy grail of things that she had uh, in her collection? That yeah, it's it's definitely a holy grail. I mean, the Frida shut down the Beatles offices in 1972, so she she actually packed it up. So she left with you know a truckload of boxes of of Beatles memorabilia, autographs, photos, um, and instead of selling any of it, she's given it away over the years. Um, you know, she gave away most of it to fans for free. Oh. Um, you know, she's also donated huge packages for cancer research or, okay. you know, I've, I've heard multiple stories about how she, yeah. you know, kind of rewards people in her life, like her, her daughter's boss helped, was sort of a mentor to her in her career, and Frida gave him, you know, one of the rarest Beatles photographs with, 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 signatures on it. So she's she's by far the least tempted person by money I've ever known in my life, mm-hmm. um, which made her a fascinating character right away. Um, but one example of that, um, you know, in the film, we go up to her attic and she does have four boxes left of Beatles stuff. Most of them she hasn't even looked through since her job ended in 1972, so over 40 years. So she's kind of discovering things for the first time. Um, and one of the things that fell out of one of those boxes was an envelope of George Harrison's hair. <laughs> and it was still it was still sealed from the 1960s. You know, and it has her 1960 teenage girl handwriting on it that says George Harrison's real hair. Now, uh, to, to fund our film, we did a Kickstarter campaign, and, and some random person out there um, to, to help out our film had a strand of George Harrison's hair from the 1960s, and they said, look, I'll, you know, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to auction it off on eBay. And uh, whatever I make, I'll donate to your film. So that person did that. And one strand of George Harrison's hair sold for, I forget, but I think it was thousands of dollars. I mean, I think it was over $2,000 for one strand of his hair. And now 
were in Frida's attic and Alf falls an envelope full of his hair with <laughs> pumps of his hair in it. Um, and I, of course, say, you know, Frida, oh, my God, there's, you know, tens of thousands of dollars just in that envelope. And she just looked at me like I was the most disgusting person in the world. But, uh, and I just kind of wilted that I would even mention the idea that she would sell George Harrison's hair. And so that's just kind of how she is. I, yeah. You know, she doesn't not in regular contact with the Beatles anymore and two of them have passed away but she grew up with them and I think that's yeah. how she looks back on them as as good friends of hers and and, and 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 people that she worked for you know friends but also bosses and she was so loyal to them and you know to her credit she won't betray that loyalty I don't think until the day she dies yeah no it's it's great it's great to see it's it, it she is, you know she's just a, a, um, a very interesting personality and mm-hmm. the, the strength one of the strengths of uh, good old Frida is that you you are, you'll hear a lot of these stories that she tells about the early days just hanging around being there kind of whatever's needed sort of approach to her mm-hmm. job you know drive them somewhere help them out and just uh, th- that sense of uh, camaraderie that she had with these guys was uh, is really it comes across the in the film it comes across in her as a person and uh, it's amazing um a little bit about um the reaction to the film um um, obviously, uh, it's done well. It's it's played in a number of film festivals. By the way, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with the the director and producer of Good Old Frida, uh, Ryan White. Um, but what's uh, have you been surprised, happily surprised, I assume by uh, by the reaction to the film? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we Frida's been totally nerve-wracked about the film since the beginning because she's the most private person in the world. And 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 you know, the opening line of our film is. Um, I was just a secretary then. I'm still a secretary now. Why would anybody want to hear a secretary story? And that that's how she thinks. Uh, and, and in many ways, I drank her Kool-Aid, I think, even while I was making it. I was so blown away by these stories where I was thinking, is she right? Like, are people going to want to hear this? I want to hear this. But are, <laughs> are other people going to want to hear this? And I think all those nerves were put to rest at South by Southwest, which is our world premiere in March. Um, yeah. You know, and we had worked very hard on the film, and Frida was incredibly nervous to come over and show the film. Um, and once that screening ended, and it was a packed house, you know, thousands of people, and once that once the lights finally came up, the reaction of the audience was so amazing um, that I know for her, she finally breathed that big sigh of relief that she had done that. Um, and I did too, because, like I said, I've known her for decades, and so I felt a real responsibility to make something. Um, that was faithful to her and something that she was proud of, but also something that when she's there, audiences react well to and audiences, you know, want, want to be a part of her story. And so I also breathe a big sigh of relief. And ever since that uh, day at South by Southwest, it's just been fun. The, the reception at film festivals has been amazing, especially yeah. when Frida's able to come over because people love the chance to get to meet her. People love getting the chance to tell her, you know, what her letters to them you know, little ways in which they changed their lives or, mm. or made their lives better. And so I think that's been really rewarding for her and really rewarding for me to get to watch. And then the critical response has been great, too. So yeah. um, we definitely have no complaints so far um, uh, about that that part of the film. Yeah, and, and uh, again, I think that it's funny how um, it, it, it works that, she was the she was the face of the Beatles for so many thousands of people. The human touch that she brought to it—that's the human touch that she brings to the to uh, Good Old Frida. The documentary uh, is that, and it's and for people, it's you know it's it's really is heartening to see someone 
who um, had a- this kind of access to very famous people who could have turned it into some kind of cottage industry if she wanted to, who has remained true and loyal to these people uh, and who is essentially herself, has been herself since she was a 17-year-old fan. And I... and and. Feeling that connection in the film and seeing that I'm sure in in person in these festival settings and and in theater screenings that uh, that that she is a genuine uh, uh, genuine person in that regard. That's her uh, is really the kind of engaging uh, personality that that uh, comes across in the film. But you're you hope for. I mean, these you know it's it's just a nice story on on a lot of levels. Yeah, I mean, and she's. You know, I mean, she is the most private person in the world. I always say Frida's an anomaly. She is extremely private, but she's also extremely personable, and she yeah. likes engaging people one-on-one. And, um, you know, I, she, I heard her say in an interview recently that that making this film, or not making this film, but distributing this film, getting to be a part of, of exhibiting the film has been like a second use for her because when she left the Beatles world in 1972, she really left the Beatles world. You know, she got married, she changed her name, she hid from the Beatles spotlight, she wanted to live a life of anonymity, and she's remained that way until this year when this film came out. Uh, And so she said in in a lot of ways, it's kind of been like a second youth for her, that she gets to re-engage all these people who have wondered where she went. Many of those people wondered if she was ever even real. Uh, (laughs) um, And then she's getting getting to sort of re-engage that decade, which she will you know, hands down, say was the best decade of her whole life. Yeah, well, and the the title is apt. I mean, I think it fits it. It's it fits her personality as a person, and good for her. You know, I mean, uh, in the sense that you know, she was an important part. I mean, maybe uh, for a lot of people, it may not seem like a big deal, but for people who went through the Beatlemania stuff, and, and there was such a personal connection. Not only was the band themselves talented musicians, and they were exciting personalities, and they were engaging personalities, but they had this they had this infrastructure in place, and she was an, a significant part of the infrastructure, which, which afforded the connection, a personal connection to, as you said, thousands and thousands of people. I mean, and those are the kind of things that stay with people. They, it really resonates, and... They had, they owe her a lot um, in terms of their uh, of how they they were able to to um, become such a an amazing phenomena themselves. Well, and it comes across. I, I'm really so happy that you were able to find time to come here and, and talk to us about it and uh, talk about good old Frida and 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 um, it it's, and it was a blast. It, uh, the film was it really is and comes out uh, today, September sixth uh, in theaters um, around the country here in Los Angeles as well. So um, the website, help me out. I, I just, what's the... It's, it's goodoldfrida.com. Um, okay. And we're actually doing day and date. So uh, it, it comes out today on September 6th, but it's also available on iTunes and Video On Demand that people are for people that are in pockets of the country without, you know, yeah. big independent theater. Fantastic. Well, Ryan White, I, I thank you so much. We didn't even get to, I know you have a you have a wonderful background as a filmmaker. We didn't talk too much about that, but all the best on on good old Frida. And uh, are you working on anything right now beyond? Are you? I am. Okay. I'm working around the clock right now on an, <laughs> okay. H, an HBO documentary about uh, Proposition Eight, the case that went to the Supreme Court this year that I've been filming for five years. So, oh, fantastic! Um, that was supposed to be my second film, but uh, <laughs> but was taking five or six years to make. So I kind of 
threw good old Frida in there in the middle, but uh, that film will be out next year in 2014. Well, excellent. I look forward to it, and thank you so much for finding time to be on Film School. Thank Thanks, Mike. Thank yeah. you. Take care. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.